Quick warning to everybody who's listening to this podcast version of our show. There are some words that we have unbeeped. If you don't want to hear that, maybe you're listening with kids, you can get a beeped version at our website, thisamericanlife.org. Zoe Chase? Yes, Ira Glass. You brought some tape to play? Yeah, I brought some tape from, uh, from, from this trip that I was on recently. Zoe Chase is one of the producers of our program. It's This American Life from WBEZ Chicago. So on this trip, I was in an interesting room. couple ground rules. There will be no safe spaces, no trigger warnings, no microaggressions. We are going to have, we're going to have some honest discussion here. We're in a huge auditorium surrounded by more than 2,000 conservative college students. It's a bunch of young people in sports coats and ties and dresses and heels. And the media has said, oh, there's no young conservatives out there. You know, you have to be liberal if you're in college. And every single one of you here today, from all 50 states, by the way, are here to tell the media, colleges, and the elites that our generation will not embrace socialism. This is Charlie Kirk. In this room is at a big conference he's throwing. Charlie Kirk's organization is called Turning Point USA, kind of a pumped up version of the college Republicans is how I describe it. And they recruit and train conservative students to be conservative activists on their campuses. Charlie, he's 24, he's preppy, he still technically lives in his parents' house outside Chicago. Technically means... Means that's his domicile, but he's on the road more than 300 days out of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, He founded this group something like five years ago. They have a ton of money from conservative donors. Uh, This year they're going to have a budget close to 14 to 15 million dollars, someone close to the organization told me. Mm -hmm. Took place in a really fancy hotel right near Mar-a-Lago, actually. The son of the president of the United States, Donald Trump Jr. Wait, Donald Trump Jr. was there? (laughs) Yeah, uh, Charlie Kirk, the head of the organization, and Donald Trump Jr. are friends. So this conference, it's premised on the idea that there's an important battleground right now in America that conservatives are losing. They've been losing this battle for years. That's college campuses. College campuses overrun by liberal bias. Conservatives feel embattled. They feel outnumbered. Now, this is nothing new, conservatives saying this. True. And the Koch brothers and other conservative donors are throwing millions of dollars at this. To change our politics, they want to change our culture. To change the culture, you have to change universities. And the speakers at this conference, they make it sound like this is a life or death moment. We are in a nonviolent, and I pray to God it remains nonviolent, civil war. There are unbridgeable gaps between left and right. We are at war, right? We're not debating Obamacare. We're not debating tax cuts. We're not debating the border. We're debating America. The very But all of you are now messengers. All of you are now part of the fight. All of you are the people who are going to go back to your campuses and convert 10 other people. You should always wear that target proudly on your back because they will come for you. And when, you, when they come for you, the only way those bullets are going to bounce off is if you're made of steel. Thanks so much. Well, I have to say those are some very powerful speakers. <laughs> they are doing a good job for those kids. Yeah. Here's the new thing I learned at this conference is that there are now outside groups and a whole infrastructure fighting this war on American campuses. Like the tinder is there for the fire for sure. People are ready for a crazy fight on all sides. But now there are a number of relatively new, big, well-funded national organizations like this one, like Turning Point USA, which are fanning the flames and spreading the fire. And I would say that that is what our program is about today. We're going to see this play out on one campus and see just how easy it is for these things to blow up into a huge, raging wildfire. But Zoe, before we get to that, what exactly happens at this conference? 
The conference is for tactical advice on how to fight this war on campus. So, for example, to invite a conservative speaker to campus. You don't just have a right to bring people to campus. You don't just have a right to stand up yourself and speak out. I think you have an obligation. Um, now, in some cases, a college will try to stop the speaker. They'll think they're too controversial or charge a big security fee for that speaker. And there's a panel for what to do if that happens. The panel is called Sue Your School 101, Knowing and Defending the First wow. Amendment on Campus. Anybody here from Wisconsin? Awesome. So we have sued your, uh, your university system seven times. So thanks. You guys are great. There are panels like Socialism is for Suckers. 48 liberal lies. Was Jesus a socialist? I'm going to guess the answer to that is no. It is no. He was not. At night, the nighttime activity was a protest. Basically, anti-Trumpers of West Palm Beach came out to protest this conference. And honestly, it seemed almost too perfect as though the conference had planned it. They did not. But it just felt like a way to get your conservative jollies out by yelling about some of the stuff they've been talking about all day. There were these super eclectic chants like... Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. This one is hard to hear. This girl in the back yells out, How many genders are there? This insistence from Turning Point Kids that there are only two genders, that gets brought up a lot, and it feels kind of random. And I figured out it's kind of a battle cry for these kids on the right. They're just basically saying, You're irrational to the left. Um, of course, that dismissal of transgender and non-binary people can and often does come across as incredibly hateful. So they're chanting this stuff. Yeah, and making videos. In fact, that was a big thing this conference seemed to be about, was making videos. How to make videos to fight back against the left on their campuses. There are a bunch of panels about that. The art of the click, how to make political viral content, things like that. The idea is even if you're isolated on your campus, there's a huge network out there of conservative news that's hungry for the video and will tell your story. If you have a cell phone, then you are now a reporter. If you are on a college campus, you have things that are worth covering. This is Ben Shapiro, a big-name conservative speaker who also founded The Daily Wire. I run a publication that has about 100 million page views a month. If you email me with your story and we can verify it and check it, make sure it's true, we'll run with it. And this is true for Fox News, this is true for Daily Caller, this is true for Breitbart, you know, this is true for all of the major right-wing publications. And so granting exposure is the easiest way to bring shame to a lot of these folks who deserve it. And if you just At this other panel called Fighting the PC Police, this guy Cabot Phillips, he's a clean-cut 24-year-old guy, he's just adored. It seems like everyone in the session knows him, and both of his, his sessions were packed. He gave tips on exactly step-by-step... How do you make an effective video on your phone? As far as the video goes, we all know this. How do we film our videos, guys? Horizontal. Horizontal. Heck yeah. If you film your videos vertically, you are not worthy of love. And you are, <laughs> you're, not, it's not, you're not a good person. And Cabot is the media director with a news site whose entire purpose is to document and publicize liberalism run amok on campus. It's called Campus Reform. They pay conservative students at colleges across the country to be correspondents, scouring their campuses for stories. Some are small, like college Republicans' email list used to, quote, identify the racists, or college turns gym into man-free space. I love that these sound like onion headlines, but from a right-wing perspective. <laughs> I know, but these are real things that happen. Like one of them was about students demanding free tampons in both men and women's bathrooms. They did this by painting their pants with fake blood stains. 
It's called a bleed in. That's a story. And so all of these are basically conservatives writing about how crazy liberals are on their campuses or how hard it is to be a conservative on campus. Right. One prime type of video that Cabot from Campus Reform talked about is one that you would take when, say, you're out with your little table and you're trying to sign people up for your Turning Point USA chapter on your campus, Um, like you're in the middle of the quad. And there's this thing that's come up on public universities lately that I just found out about recently. It's the free speech zone. The free speech zone is this area of campus where all political activity, any protest or political advocacy, it's confined to one area. A lot of times people don't realize it's completely unconstitutional. And if you are tabling outside of the free speech zone, someone from the university may come up to you and tell you to move to the free speech zone. And that's your cue. Whip your phone out. Start filming. Stay calm. Be polite. There's no need to be a jerk. But just ask them. I'm not saying I won't leave, but what will happen if I choose not to leave? The very best video to get, it seems. The creme de la creme. This is the impression I got. It's filming triggered snowflakes. Like, you know a snowflake... Yes, of course. A snowflake is a liberal who is easily offended. Right, like, say a right-wing student group's posters are torn down. They may be torn down by snowflakes who are triggered by those posters. Cabot plays this one super viral video of a girl in an audience at an event screaming, get your hate speech off our campus, get your hate speech off our campus. His point is that a snowflake can be triggered by your very existence on campus. And they do this thing where... They will just throw out name call. That's the first tactic they use. Well, they'll say, you're a racist, you're a bigot homophobe, you are a part of the patriarchy, whatever that means, you're all these things. And it kind of sucks getting called that. No matter how untrue it is, which it is untrue, no matter how untrue it is, it's still like, I don't really want to get called that on campus. So maybe I won't speak up because I don't want to have to deal with this. They don't just want you guys to be quiet. Okay? The left on your campus doesn't just want you to stop talking. They want you to completely be off of their campus because your ideas make them feel that unsafe. He's right. A lot of people on the left do say that ideas on the right make them feel unsafe. So things can explode and get out of hand really quickly. Go today on our program, we see a brand new Turning Point recruit head out and try the things that Turning Point USA tells students to do and trains them to do. During this moment in our history where everybody assumes the absolute worst about each other, we watch this newbie head right into the thick of it, a sophomore, 19 years old when this starts. Our reporter for this story is somebody who knows this world well. He's been covering these fights on campus for the Chronicle of Higher Education. His name's Steve Kalowich. And let's just get right to it. Here he is. Katie Mull knew she wanted to start a turning point chapter at her school after she went to her first conference, the Young Women's Leadership Summit, last summer. And it was just really empowering in the fact that the whole conference, we were just talking about how there's no really glass ceiling. There's just skies above. Like, there's nothing that we can't do. And just being around that many women, I think, just as a whole, was really empowering. The first time Katie remembers having a strong political feeling was in high school while listening to Rush Limbaugh with her grandmother. He was criticizing Obamacare in a way that really resonated with her. She became the kind of teenager who'd write to her congressman. She arrived at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, UNL, just as the 2016 presidential election was entering the home stretch. Most of her friends on campus weren't that into politics. She liked the idea of being connected to other young people who were just as excited about it as she was. Turning Point looked fun. Its founder, Charlie Kirk, wasn't much older than she was, and he was really good at Twitter. 
Last summer, she went to her second Turning Point conference. This one was for chapter leaders. She met Charlie Kirk, she made new friends, and she came back to campus in the fall, fired up to spread the gospel of liberty and capitalism. On August 25th last year, Katie tried tabling on campus for the first time, on the plaza outside the student union. Turning Point had sent her a starter kit with stickers and buttons that said things like, Socialism sucks, and I heart capitalism. Her club wasn't official yet, so Katie wanted to do some recruiting. Can you sort of give me your pitch? Like, if I were a student coming up to your table, what would you say? Okay, well, it was my first time out there, so I was a little... <laughs> I, I don't think I was a really good saleswoman. I was kind of more timid that day waiting for people to come up to me, but I know people passing by I would ask them how they felt about capitalism or what, what their beliefs on socialism was and just kind of get a conversation started. Katie set up her table in the place where there was a lot of foot traffic, just like Turning Point says to do. And sure enough, along came a university employee. You're going to have to ask you guys to move this to the free speech zone or we'll have to have you and LPD remove you. It's completely up yes. to you. But isn't hey, isn't this a public university? This is university? Not, not with propaganda. You can free speech all you want, but you cannot hand out propaganda. But isn't this Katie stood her ground. It is. She recorded the interaction on her phone. We've always been told... Pixar, it didn't happen. <laughs> so it's kind of the same thing, like videos or it didn't happen. Free speech zone is over here on the other side of the Memorial Plaza sign. That video alone would have been a good get for Turning Point. Confirmation that yet another college campus wanted to silence conservative ideas. But then, bigger game wandered onto the plaza. A full-throated liberal zealot. I saw the table for Turning Point USA. And I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I was like, not on my campus. No, 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 no. This is Courtney Lawton. She's 47. She's getting her PhD in English. And at the time, she was also an instructor in the English department, teaching freshman writing classes. You know, they were out trolling for liberals, and they got a live one on the line with me. Courtney had read about Turning Point and believed it was far more sinister than Katie's table made it appear. She'd first learned about it because of the professor watch list, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Turning Point publishes the names of professors who have said things that are offensive to its values and puts their photos on the website. Offenses that can land a professor on the watch list include sniping at Republicans, being anti-Israel, writing too urgently about white privilege or the patriarchy, or saying the NRA is partly to blame for mass shootings. Courtney knew of professors who had been bombarded with violent or hateful messages and even placed on leave or fired after having their misdeeds trumpeted by conservative media outlets like Campus Reform. Courtney thinks Turning Point puts a target on professors' backs. They uh, harass professors, they provoke them, they send agent provocateurs to, you know, college campuses. They also want to remove the humanities from the curriculum if that curriculum is not sufficiently conservative. Courtney left the plaza and rushed back to her office, grabbed some poster board and a marker, and scrawled a sign that said, Just say no to neo-fascism. When Courtney says neo-fascism, she basically means the platform of the current Republican Party. Anti-abortion, pro-gun, hardline on immigration. My producer Dana Chivas and I talked to Courtney together. Can you be pro-Trump and not a fascist? Nope. I don't think so. Who did you write the sign for? People walking by. 
people who were thinking that, oh, this looks like a cool, oh, no, this is neo-fascism. Whoa. (laughs) You know? (laughs) She made the sign and went back to the plaza where Katie was. She was set up in this area where all of the crazy street preachers are, the Jehovah's Witnesses come. She was in that area. She was on the mall, okay? And I'm like, fair game. You're on the mall. Here we go. And I went to stand in front of the table, um, maybe about a meter away, walking back and forth in front of the table. And uh, I had started chanting, uh, no KKK, no neo-Nazi USA. No KKK, no neo-fascist USA. Fight white nationalism. Fight white supremacy. The student, Katie, was taken aback. She didn't go out that day to make a video of a snowflake. It was her first day. She said she really just wanted to sign up some students and try out her patter. Of course, she understood this kind of thing might happen, but now she was in the middle of it, and it was kind of intense, and she was alone. And here was Courtney, treating her like some kind of race warrior. It was humiliating. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to be associated, well, any normal person would not want to be associated with KKK or being racist. No, KKK, no, neo-racist USA. Fight white nationalism. I mean, at first I kind of like almost laughed. It was like, oh gosh, like, what's she doing? And that's what I actually first got my, just my Snapchat out. I mean, Snapchat, everything. I She was screaming, so I just like took a video. But then it started progressively getting more intense and worse, and I started getting a lot more nervous. When, she, when they're saying no KKK and they're saying you're racist, were you like, what the hell are you talking about? I just thought they were saying it because I was conservative. To some people who are on the way left, I would say they want to say all conservatives are racist. Courtney says she was using KKK as shorthand for you're racist. She says Turning Point tries to provoke racial resentment in white people. And race is something they talk about a fair amount. Charlie Kirk, the founder, has called the concept of white privilege a, quote, myth and a lie. He says it's a racist idea. Turning Point also thinks affirmative action is racist, a point it tries to make by encouraging its campus chapters to hold affirmative action bake sales. They sell cookies to black students for 50 cents. White students have to pay $2. All that, to Courtney, is KKK-ish. I mean... It's a loaded term, but sometimes you have to use hyperbole to get people's attention, too. It's a rhetorical thing. I've watched this one video Katie took a bunch of times, and it always feels awkward. Usually, campus protests involve large groups of people whose chanting and sign-waving make sense because they're in a crowd. But in Katie's video, Courtney's mostly alone. She's pacing with her sign, calling out like a carnival barker. The plaza is huge and mostly empty. Someone on a bike whizzes by, tumbleweed-style. Katie walked out from behind her table to get a better shot. She starts narrating. Tabling for Turning Point USA. And then Courtney starts shouting. Neo-fascist Becky right here. Becky the neo-fascist right here. Wants to destroy public schools, public universities, hates DACA kids. What's a neo-fascist Becky? A Becky is a white woman who weaponizes her whiteness and her white privilege. That's Courtney, who's a white woman, by the way. I wondered if Katie was familiar with the term. Did you know what that was? 
Yeah, I mean, I knew what it was just because it's like slang a lot of times what they, you know, call white girls, Becky. So I knew what she was getting at when she was saying that. What was she getting at? Just, I guess, calling me a little white girl or whatever. She's neo-fascist Becky. Katie and Courtney circled each other, one woman armed with a cell phone, the other with a poster board. And then? I flipped her off. The minute I did it, I was like, this is the kind of thing they're looking for. This is it. In fact, I thought to myself, well, if you take a picture, it'll last longer. You like doing it. You know, they were there to be provocative, and I'm there to answer the provocation. On her first day, all of these scenarios Turning Point talks about happened to Katie. Somebody had tried to kick her into a free speech zone. A triggered liberal who didn't want her kind on campus had called her names and accused her of racism. And she reacted the way Turning Point teaches its soldiers to react, by taking out her camera and filming. Courtney knew she was playing to type, the liberal academic who cried racism. But she didn't really care. She was there to make a scene. Did she react at all when you flipped her off? She laughed. She thought it was hilarious. And she got up in my face and she started walking with me to get me to, like, film me and stuff. And I think at one point I told her, you might get a better shot if you turn your camera landscape and not portrait. <laughs> Hot tip. You know, I mean, I was so indignant. She's about around my mom's age, from what I heard. So it was kind of surprising behavior coming from someone who's a lot older than me. What was surprising about it? That a woman who I presume to be a professor at the university who's in her 40s would act like that, I guess. And then it started getting into, we're saying the F word, and you racist F, you, it's my F in First Amendment, and then now screaming at people passing by. So at this point, I stopped recording, and I called one of my friends, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Katie says that there were some F-bombs thrown around at the protest. Um, things like, it's my effing First Amendment, or you racist F. First Amendment. It is my it is my effing First Amendment. Did you say you racist f? I don't remember saying that. But there were f bombs flying around. Oh, there were f bombs flying around. F Charlie Kirk. Oh yeah, f that guy. Things were getting ugly. Katie was feeling overwhelmed. She didn't really want to be there anymore, but she also didn't want to leave. She didn't want the liberal activists to think they'd won. A woman walking by saw Katie surrounded by three protesters. One of them was being really aggressive. Katie looked upset. The woman, who worked for the university, mouthed the words, Are you okay? Katie shook her head, no. Then she started crying. At this point, I was just a complete mess. It was (laughs) not the greatest situation, but... One of the other protesters was an English professor named Amanda Gailey. She wasn't chanting or swearing like Courtney. Instead, she stood off to the side and quietly held a sign that said, Turning Point, 
please put me on your watch list. It was a gesture of solidarity with the professors the group had singled out. But when Katie got upset, Amanda decided to call a timeout. I thought, this is not good. We don't want, we don't want people to feel like this, you know, um, on campus. So I rolled up my sign and I went over and asked her if she was okay. And I told her that I wanted her to know that um, I was not there to protest her and I had no hard feelings towards her. I was there to protest her organization. And, um, and I said, um, I would like to talk to you sometime if you're up for it when we don't have all these people around in a non-hostile environment. And I said, would that be okay? And she said, yes. Katie gave Amanda a piece of paper and the professor wrote down her email address. Did it make you feel bad? Um, yeah, I think it did make me feel bad that she looked upset. Courtney felt differently. Oh, please. I don't care because you've signed on with this group. If you're going to be politically active, there's no crying. Courtney draws a line between her identity as an activist and her identity as a teacher. She says she doesn't push her politics on her students. Why didn't you take that tact with Katie? Because I'm not her teacher, and it wasn't my classroom. When Courtney looked at Katie, sitting at her turning point table, she didn't see a student who wanted to sign up classmates for a club. She didn't see a student at all. She saw a professional operative from a powerful national organization that wanted to eradicate from public education the people and ideas she held dear. Turning point was Fox News. It was the Koch brothers. It was President Trump. This was an invasion. And the soft-spoken teenager handing out I Heart Capitalism stickers was the tip of the spear. The confrontation lasted about 20 minutes. Kay left the plaza, still upset. The protesters dispersed. And in another world, that would have been that. Maybe the student would have emailed the professor to clear the air. Maybe she would have lodged a complaint. Maybe an administrator or two would have gotten involved. In any case, you and I wouldn't have heard about it. But that's not the world we live in. At least not anymore. Instead, the outrage machine lurched into motion. That's what people in higher education sometimes call it, the network of right-wing websites that have emerged to pounce on stories, big and small, about liberals behaving badly on campus. Student activists send up a bat signal so conservatives around the country can see it and come running. That afternoon, Katie did interviews with Turning Point's news division and with Campus Reform, that news site with the student correspondents on campuses. She also tweeted her photos, including the one of Courtney giving her the middle finger. Her tweet said, quote, Tabling for TPUSA today, and UNL faculty came to protest, screaming profanities. They won't silence me. I will continue to fight for freedom. Charlie Kirk saw her video and huddled with his team. They slapped a Turning Point logo on the video, and Charlie tweeted it out with a note saying, quote, Intolerant left strikes again. That must have felt exciting. I guess it was if I looked back just a year before I was following him on Twitter. But, I mean, I just think it was, I think it was a big deal what did happen. Mm-hmm. It started the conversation in the state of Nebraska that this is happening here, and it's not just happening at Berkeley, it's happening in Nebraska. For conservatives who are anxious about campus politics, the University of California at Berkeley is Gomorrah, PCU, the bottom of the slippery slope. 
The University of Nebraska, on the other hand, is not typically a hotbed of political activism. There have been a couple Black Lives Matter rallies, and anti-abortion groups have marched there too. But Berkeley, it is not. When I asked people if the student body was liberal or conservative, they usually said neither. That a lot of the kids come from conservative backgrounds, but that most aren't very political one way or another. The protest was on a Friday. Turning Point sent up the bat signal, and by Monday there were articles about Courtney and Amanda in the Daily Wire, the College Fix, Gateway Pundit, and Breitbart. University administrators got messages from furious Nebraskans. Hi, Gail. Uh, my name is Bill Forbes. I'm calling from out in western Nebraska. Well, furious for Nebraska. And I would like to recommend, um, there needs to be an example, I believe, made of this professor. And I certainly did not um, insinuate that her livelihood should be removed from her. But I do believe that she needs to have a an unpaid leave of absence. I would really appreciate hearing from you. Thank you so much, ma'am. Bye-bye. Others were more direct. A guy named Doug Kagan, who runs a group called Nebraska Taxpayers for Freedom, also wanted the university to do something about liberal bullies. And he wanted them to make some bigger changes while they were at it. He suggested they eliminate some line items from their budget, including the Women's Studies Program, the Ethnic Studies Program, the LGBT programs, English as a Second Language, the Diversity Resources Office, and money set aside for affirmative action. This is a good example of what can happen when Turning Point publicizes these incidents on campuses. It brings conservatives out of the woodwork with ideas about what the public university should and shouldn't be doing. Katie never emailed Amanda Gailey, the professor at the protest who had offered to talk. In fact, in the week after the incident, when the local talk radio host asked her if any of the protesters had tried to engage in dialogue, she didn't mention the email offer. She told him, There was no dialogue. I stood there as they were hurling these insults at me. As the story was retold, Courtney's behavior on the plaza was pluralized in a way that made it sound a bit like Katie had been accosted by a mob. They were shouting at her. Uh, cussing at her, uh, calling her names. This is Hal Dobb, a prominent Nebraska Republican who's on the university's board of regents. He's describing the scene on local talk radio. And uh, just really uh, threatened her and bullied her to a point of tears. And now she's a marked person and is, to some degree, perhaps have further safety issues because of these employees Katie was no longer just a young conservative who loved America and hated big government. She was now a free speech crusader. The right has taken up free speech on campus as a rallying cry, pointing to speakers who had been shouted down or had their events canceled by universities. Katie was another conservative who'd been silenced by a liberal bully. And so, two weeks after the protest, on another sunny Friday, she returned to the plaza, this time with a giant beach ball. A free speech beach ball. It's just promoting free speech with a, it's like a huge beach ball, and then anyone can sign it with anything they want to say. It's actually really cool. It's really fun. Why a beach ball? I think just because it's easy to sign. It's just something fun, eye-catching. She had gotten the gigantic beach ball, it's 12 feet in diameter, from the Leadership Institute, the organization that runs campus reform. Page 39 of the Turning Point Chapter Handbook includes detailed instructions on how to run a free speech ball event, beginning with how to inflate the ball with an electric pump, and how many people you'll need to hand out markers, take pictures, and help you roll it around campus. 
Nebraska State Senator Steve Halloran walked the seven blocks up from the Capitol to pose for a photo with Katie. By the time he arrived, the giant beach ball was covered in messages from UNL students. Fuck communists. Fuck Antifa terrorists. Fuck Hillary. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck everyone who's funding this. The senator managed to find space for his own message. Thank God for our freedom of speech. He and other senators had heard from constituents about Courtney's protest. They didn't like what they heard. Senator Tom Brewer wrote to the university president directly, quote, This event is being watched very closely by the unicameral. In other words, we have our eye on you. Do the right thing. The outrage machine had done its job. On Twitter, people called Courtney unstable, a loudmouth, a clown, a, quote, tormented individual with an addiction to ignorance. Eleven days after the incident, Courtney was called into a meeting with the university's executive vice chancellor, who told her that she would not be teaching anymore, at least not for the time being. Courtney wasn't being fired, the vice chancellor said, but the university was worried about her safety and the safety of her students. Courtney says the vice chancellor asked her if she would have done anything differently in retrospect. Courtney said no, no regrets. I think that if I had said to her, I apologize, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, this is a terrible situation, but I didn't feel that way, and I don't feel that way, and I'm not going to apologize. Courtney's protest on the plaza was nothing out of the ordinary for her. She's an activist, mostly for gun control, and she's testified against bills in the Nebraska State Capitol before. It was her mother who taught her to protest, but it was her father, a conservative, who showed her how to never give an inch. Dad made talking politics a blood sport. It really was. I mean, we would be in the car, and he would pick a topic, and we would debate it. So I was raised to do this. I was raised to talk politics. And my sister remembers it as being very abusive. She remembers it being like my father would back me into a rhetorical corner until I cried out of frustration and then would, like, take us out for dinner. Courtney says her father's politics borders on fascism. Still, she says they're very close. Inevitably, news of her protest made it to his computer screen. My dad found out about this on Breitbart and The Blaze because that's all he reads. And he called me and he said, You know, you've always done this. You've always played with fire. And then he said, you're toxic. You're never going to get a job in academia. You probably will never be able to teach again. And I want you to know that you've done this to yourself. Some of Courtney's colleagues on the faculty did come to her defense. After she was removed from the classroom, about 50 of them held a small rally on campus, waving signs that said things like, don't gag our educators. The university had to answer publicly for what had happened. University President Hank Bounds went on a local talk radio show in Lincoln. The host, Kobe Mack, speaks first. She, you know, she flipped her off. Hey, listen, that's protected by free speech, I think, as well. Doesn't make it appropriate. But she she called her a neo-fascist Becky. Yep. And she said that a couple of times, and a Becky is, is referred to as a white woman, only you substitute the woman for a rather nasty name, a white 
woman uh, who performs sex acts. I have to say, one of the stranger outcomes of Courtney's protest was that it apparently sent the nice folks of Nebraska to UrbanDictionary.com in order to decode the meaning of Becky. The definition that involves sex acts is not the first one listed, but it's definitely the one people gravitated toward. Courtney's rather academic definition, a white woman who weaponizes her white privilege, isn't on there at all. Regardless, the radio host thought she went too far. And, you know, some say that that goes beyond intimidation, that that even borders on on hate speech. So you understand why people want to know what's happening with this person that apparently is still on staff. So I I completely understand. I have been abundantly clear that it's inappropriate. Um, that does not meet our standard of behavior. Um, and I think we're all glad to hear it's that. It's inappropriate. When President Bounds issued an official statement about the incident, he made this distinction. This wasn't about Courtney's right to free speech. Of course he supported that. No, this was about her lack of civility. In any case, we can all agree that Courtney called Katie a mean name, and a bunch of conservatives in Nebraska were offended. Or maybe they were triggered. There's this phrase we kept hearing while reporting this story, Nebraska nice. It was a marketing slogan. The State Tourism Commission used it a few years ago. But people seem to take it seriously. It's the plastic on the couch cushions that keeps the political mud being slung across the country from leaving a stain on Nebraska. Now, there are elements in Nebraska that threaten that niceness, that civility. After what happened to Katie, a former chairman of the state Republican Party, this guy J.L. Spray, was worried about one threat in particular. There's a group called Betsy Riot that I think is um, emanates from the faculty at the universities. Betsy Riot is a sort of underground punk feminist collective whose members often conceal their identities with veils or creepy masks. They're kind of like PETA, nonviolent but pretty in your face and willing to commit vandalism to make a point. In Nebraska, the group had posted signs comparing the Boy Scouts to Hitler Youth. Another time, a group of Betsy's wearing sunglasses and surgical masks marched at the Nebraska State Capitol carrying a tube of ointment the length of a sedan with a label that read Preparation H for the flaming assholes in our legislature. And they threw blood on the door of a uh, United States senator, which I think is a terroristic threat. The blood was fake, actually. And it was found on the doors of both Nebraska senators after they said they would vote to repeal the Affordable Care Act. J.L. Spray thought Courtney was a member of Betsy Riot, which I told Courtney. And he thinks that you're in... Betsy Riot, and he thinks you were involved in throwing fake blood on some senator's doors. Is he right about that? I don't know. He can think whatever he wants. Are you in Betsy Riot? Is that something that I have nothing about? to say about that? Um, are you a fan? Well, I know that Betsy Riot is an anonymous organization, mm -hmm. and it's all over the country. They have a web page. You should totally check it out. I have, che right. I have checked it out. It seems like the kind of page yeah. you would like. Well, they're pretty badass. Courtney, for the first time in the many hours we talked, had little to say. Steve Kogelwich. Coming up, we move from the brawl in the mall to round two of this fight, the fiasco in Nebraska. That's in a minute from Chicago Public Radio.
when our program continues. This is American Life from Ira Glass. Today's program, my effing First Amendment. If you're just tuning in to review where we are, Turning Point USA has these tools, video trainings and free speech balls and all kinds of stuff that they give to students so the students can go out and collect evidence and spread the word that there is a bias against conservatives on college campuses. And also, liberals be nuts. Katie Mullen deployed these tools in the first half of our program and started a conversation in the state of Nebraska. In the second half of the show, we see where that conversation led. The conversation is supercharged emotionally for a bunch of reasons. First off, as maybe you've noticed, everyone in America hates everyone who disagrees with them right now. But besides that, in Nebraska, there is something else to add to the mix. This college town is a blue dot in a big red state, which happens, I have to say, in so many places. And yes, I'm talking to you, Austin, Texas, and Athens, Georgia, and Lawrence, Kansas, and so many other towns. And when fights like this happen on campuses in these red states, the fight can move so quickly to where the people in the state can trust the state universities. Again, here's Steve Kogelwich. Remember earlier when I said that Courtney saw Turning Point as an invading force with Katie as the tip of the spear? Well, some Nebraskans saw Courtney as the tip of a different spear. They were convinced there was something far more sinister behind her protest, a shadowy force bent on destroying the Nebraska they knew. That guy, J.L. Spray, who thought Courtney was part of Betsy Riot, he put it well. So I have a daughter at the university, and I'm paying tuition for her to get um, to understand critical thinking, to get a liberal arts degree, to uh, learn how to think for herself. And what they're doing to her is, I, well, I think what they're trying to do is uh, de-hiccupire. That's also not in the dictionary, but, you know, basically beat the hick out of her so that she's just a good little liberal like the rest of them. The liberal bias of faculty is something conservatives have harped on for a while. And they're not wrong. As of 2014, nationally, there were more self-identifying liberal professors than conservatives and moderates combined. And in the last few years, the percentage of Republicans who say colleges are having a negative effect on the country has increased significantly, to 58%. Katie became a source for Nebraskans who wanted to know exactly what was going on in the hallways of their state university. And where she decided to go next was probably the most liberal hallway of the most liberal building in one of the most liberal counties in Nebraska. In October, the chancellor told her that what Courtney did was an isolated incident, and she wouldn't be formally disciplined. After that meeting, Katie started tweeting about the pattern of liberalism that she saw infecting the entire English department, Courtney and Amanda's academic home. She tweeted about signs on the English department building that said, No wall, no ban, and resist. Is this in a free speech zone? She asked her followers. She tweeted about the department's mission statement and its core values, which include, quote, affirming diversity and pursuing social justice. Are they teaching English or teaching students to be social justice warriors, Katie tweeted. People noticed. Campus Reform wrote about the English department, and in Omaha, Chris Baker, a conservative radio host, also picked up on the story. If you go to Andrews Hall, you know Andrews Hall, a historic uh building there at the University of Nebraska that houses the English department, other such things. And if you look at the photos on my blog, it looks like, it appears 
that uh, various administrators and grad assistants neo-fascist Becky right here are uh, decorating their windows with all kinds of communist propaganda such as resist I love these people they're resisting what are you resisting I'm telling you man that must be one of the most exciting bedwetting drum circles where they come up with this crap all right I know that some are going to say oh Chris it's a first amendment right no it's not you have a First Amendment right on your own time. You don't have a First Amendment right when you're working for me, the taxpayer. He's wrong, by the way. All Americans have a First Amendment right, even the ones who work for Chris Baker. A public university can't tell its employees not to express personal political viewpoints. It can make certain rules about how to express those views. Like they can put reasonable limits on where you can hang a banner. But those rules can't be based on what the banner says. Teachers don't give up their First Amendment rights when they take the job. President Hank Bounds went on the radio and defended the English department. He said diversity is something a university should strive for. But Katie kept her eyes peeled for evidence of liberalism in the English department. A few months later, she took a picture of a sign that listed a bunch of different minority groups. It said, Students of color, you are welcome here. Queer students, non-neurotypical students... Muslim and non-Christian students, you are welcome here. In the bottom left-hand corner of the sign was a woman's torso made of letters which spell, My Body, My Business, Motherfucker. At the bottom where it said, My Body, My Business, Mother Effer, I think that caught my eye a lot too, just the foul language of it. And just, I think, what else, the fact it said Muslim, non-Christian, it specified non-Christian students, I mean, I can understand where it's coming from, and I totally agree that this place should be all are welcome here, but it did leave out some Christian, white males. It's just kind of like, is this appropriate? It strikes me that what you're doing in the English department is to police what people in the English department say, at least in posters. That's utterly wrong. Why is that wrong? I'm not policing their thoughts. I'm not policing what they say. I just don't find it appropriate to have foul language up at their place of work, my place of schooling. I mean, so, so many students are going through school, kind of don't really know where they stand, don't really know what they believe, and it's important that we're not spewing out this kind of, I guess, like hate almost towards Republicans on the other side. Katie was offended by the effing poster, and she worried that the English department was giving itself an unfair advantage in the battle for the minds of UNL's impressionable young students. Her new friends, the state senators, agreed. Senator Tom Brewer believed that the University of Nebraska should, quote, reflect and respect the beliefs and values of all Nebraskans. Senator Steve Halloran started working on a bill that would require the university to punish protesters who drown out free speech on campus with harsher penalties for repeat offenders. If the bill passed, the university would have to create something called a Committee on Free Expression. Essentially, the committee would do what Turning Point did, report out any incidents where free speech was stepped on by anyone else in an annual summary for the governor and the legislature. Senator Halloran invited Katie Mullen to weigh in, telling a local newspaper that she met with his staff at least a dozen times to talk about it. In January, there was a hearing on the bill. A bunch of people showed up to testify against it, including professors from UNL. Many testified that it would have a chilling effect on free speech at the school. 
Some allege that the senators were trying to crack down on the speech of liberal faculty members. One law professor said the bill was alarmingly vague. He worried that it could lead to the government influencing what teachers discuss in the classroom. And weirdly, that fear sort of came true right there in the hearing room. Senator Mike Groney, the chair of the Education Committee, questioned some of the UNL faculty members about the politics of the English department. Amanda Gailey was one of them. Well, I will give you a chance because it's out there about the website for the for the university. It's out uh, there. The English department has got very little to do with Shakespeare or Chauncey or any of those people. Have you looked at our course catalog, sir? Uh, I was just talking about. Do you I realize that a class on Shakespeare is taught, I believe, every semester in our department? And that when I listened to inexpert outsiders criticizing our curriculum for teaching social justice issues last fall, I was in the middle of teaching T.S. Eliot, Walt Whitman, and Emily Dickinson in my courses because the people leading this attack have absolutely no interest in the curriculum. Courtney watched from the front row while Amanda defended the English department at this hearing that was supposed to be about free speech. Shakespeare and Chauncey. Stupid. Free speech is supposed to be one of the few remaining ideas in American politics that everyone can agree on. But free speech doesn't solve political conflicts. It creates them. Solving them requires more advanced tools like trust, humility, dialogue, listening. A law professor testified that the free speech bill was unconstitutional. And at the end of the day, it didn't make it out of committee. But the idea of the bill, that there needs to be oversight over how public universities deal with speech, has taken hold around the country. Similar bills have been proposed in a lot of states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, others too, all based on the same script developed by a conservative think tank called the Goldwater Institute. But political pressure does count for something. And before it was all over, the conservatives would win a significant victory against the university. In the fall, Courtney was called into a meeting in the chancellor's office. Morning. Fine, thank you. How are you doing, Chancellor? Courtney secretly recorded it. During the meeting, Chancellor Green showed her security camera footage that captured her protest. He acknowledged that the protest went down exactly as Courtney had described. Then he made a confession of sorts. I will not hide the fact, nor is there reason to hide the fact, that there was tremendous political pressure through this. As there was, and you saw it. You know, there, was, there were political figures that were weighing in on this all the way to D.C. Still, he was hopeful that Courtney would be able to return quietly to the classroom for the spring semester. But then something else came up that put the university back on the defensive. The conservative press had gotten a hold of some emails sent between university officials in the wake of the Katie Mullen incident. One retired administrator wrote, quote, I don't think it's safe to be conservative on our campus. Too many faculty espouse their personal political views as gospel in classrooms where their views have no relevance. The university worried this would look like a smoking gun, proof that they were trying to de-hiccify the students. To get ahead of that potential scandal, President Bounds shared the email with every state senator and the governor, along with an apology and a pledge to study the political climate on campus. And Chancellor Green called Courtney back into his office. Thank you for coming on very short notice. Um, There is um, the disruption this continues to cause to our campus that traces back to this incident is significant. Um, It it is not going away. I mean, it's getting worse. Uh, We can't put you back in the classroom. 
He assured Courtney that the decision had nothing to do with her scholarship or her teaching ability. She had gotten great reviews from her students. This was just politics. This is purely about um, that we are very concerned if we put you back in the classroom, we're going to continue to suffer damage. I I just have to be honest with you. Um, And it traces back to the incident and the behavior and the incident. And we can't put it to bed. We just can't. We've tried. We've tried every way we know how to address it. We think we have addressed it. We think we have appropriately addressed it. But it it, it will not go away. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in an environment that... um, that none of us have ever been in before. I mean, I, and I mean that broadly, but I also mean it academically. I mean, we're in a, we're in a time that we've never been in before in, in our lifetimes. <laughs> How did you feel when you left that meeting? <laughs> like I had been fired. <laughs> Courtney wasn't technically fired. She was reassigned to non-teaching work for the spring with pay like a problem cop sent to desk duty. Chancellor Green told us the official reason was, quote, potential disruption to the academic environment. He was scared her classroom might become a target for political agitators who wanted to keep the fight going. What was the hardest part for you about not being able to teach? I just really like my students. I like what I do. And it bothers me that I'll never probably be able to do it again. I am afraid of that. Like, it's a big part of my identity, you know? And it really bothers me that I'm not in the classroom anymore because of these jerks. Because their goal is to remove people like me from the classroom. The conservatives of Nebraska couldn't purge the English Department of Liberals, but they showed the university who was in charge. Courtney was gone from the classroom. It wasn't really the university's decision. It was theirs. Um, where's Katie Mullen? Come here, girl. Stand up, girl. A month later, at the Turning Point conference you heard about at the top of the show, the one down the road from Mar-a-Lago, Joe Walsh, a conservative radio personality, was giving a talk in front of a few thousand conservative students, and he asked Katie to stand up and take credit for her great work that semester. 20-year-old Katie Mullen from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln turns 20 years old today, baby! Hey! And again, guys, I don't want to get in trouble. I know we live in a time where everybody's harassing everybody, but guys, she'd be a great catch. She's adorable, and she's a hardcore conservative, baby. She is a freedom fighter. Hey, God bless you. Every day, grab your musket and go to war. Every day, grab your musket and fight for freedom and limited government. It's your fight. It's your battle. God bless you. Thank you, everybody. I want to tell you about one other thing that was happening on the UNL campus this year. At the beginning of the spring semester, a Nebraska anti-fascist group posted a video online of a guy named Daniel Cleave. 
a white supremacist, discussing white supremacy with some other guys online. Trust me, I want to be violent. Trust me, really violent. But now is not the time. It turns out Daniel Cleave is also an undergraduate student at UNL. Just because I dress like a normie, you know, or whatever, I'm a presentable person, doesn't mean that I don't uh, train for boxing. Doesn't mean that I lift what we- I don't lift weights. It doesn't mean that I don't love violence, right? Um, you don't like you don't have to look like a violent person to be violent. When the Cleave video went public, lots of people on campus were upset and scared. A few hundred students, faculty, and staff gathered on the plaza in front of the student union for an anti-hate rally. Members of the basketball team took warm-ups and t-shirts that said, hate will never win. Some people called for the university to expel Cleve. The administrator said they weren't going to. He hadn't made any specific threats, and even hate speech is protected by the First Amendment. The university police force had done a threat assessment and decided that despite what he said in the video, he wasn't going to commit violence at UNL. There was no safety issue. Meanwhile, when Courtney Lawton was first removed from the classroom, the university said it was because they were worried about safety for her and her students. Some people say it was hypocritical to allow a violence-loving white supremacist to keep going to class when they had so quickly ousted Courtney Lawton for flipping the bird and calling a student Becky. African-American faculty and staff and students and others, Jews as well, those persons were not valued as much as the situation with the um, student in August. There is a greater emphasis upon the welfare of white students. This is Michael Combs, a professor of political science. He's been at the university for more than 30 years. In February, the administration held a series of meetings where students and faculty could speak their minds about everything that had happened. Michael Combs talked about his fear while Chancellor Green listened. I have never been afraid in a classroom. On Wednesday afternoon at 4.30, when my class was over, I looked around and I said, there is a white supremacist on campus I need to get my black handsome self out of this classroom. I have never felt that. I am from Louisiana. I have lived with white supremacists, and they mean business. And I guess I'm bothered by this notion that I'm safe because you say I'm safe. I have to feel I'm safe. You have to convince me that I am safe on this campus. Everybody wants to feel safe at the University of Nebraska. Michael Combs wants to feel safe from violent white supremacists. Courtney wants to feel safe from right-wing state senators. Katie wants to feel safe from radical liberal professors. They were all free to speak up about their fears, and they all did. But only one of them had powerful people in Nebraska come to her aid. Speaking isn't the same as being heard. Steve Kogelwich is a reporter at the Chronicle of Higher Education. We collaborated on today's story with the Chronicle. You can read the utterly superb print version that Steve Kogelwich did at chronicle.com.
program was produced today by Diane Wu and our senior producer, Brian Reed. Dana Chivas produced our story from Nebraska. Our staff includes Alma Baker, Elise Bergerson, Ben Calhoun, Zoe Chase, Kimberly Henderson, Connor Joffrey-Walt, David Kestenbaum, Seth Lind, Miki Meek, Alvin Melleth, Stone Nelson, Nadia Raymond, Robin Semyon, Christopher Sertala, and Matt Tierney. Our managing editor is Susan Burton. Special thanks today to Brock Reed at the Chronicle for Higher Education, Brian Burnies, Lawrence Jones, Hannah Sherlocker, Kella Fasene, Ari Cohn, Daniel Burnett, Spencer Brown, Ben Terrace, Alex Abdul, Cassie Dillon, Daniel Weldon, Madison Dibble, Chris Dunker, Joel Patrick, and Emma Doyle. Our website, thisamericanlife.org. This American Life is delivered to public radio stations by PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks, as always, to our program's co-founder, Mr. Tori Malatia. He knows what a horse eats. Hey! I'm Ira Glass. Back next week with more stories of this American life. Shape up your bag.